Wow, that is a tough act to follow. Man, we are so proud of Rachel. This young lady uh, grew up in our church. If you don't, um, yes. If you don't know Rachel, uh, you've missed out on a lot. But we, I've seen her when she was a little bitty girl, maybe almost an infant, and grow up. But a beautiful, uh, beautiful young lady and has so much grown up in her giftedness. She is leaving this week, I believe, to go to Cincinnati Christian University to um, train and perhaps go into uh, worship ministry. Uh, so, man, we are uh, blessed. You know, as part of our, our mission is to move people on a simple journey toward Jesus and, uh, and then send them, launch them into ministry in many ways. So we're very proud of Rachel, and she did an awesome job with that. Well, guys, we are, uh, we're in uh, Lesson 5 or Series 5 in this uh, uh, sermon set 5 in this series called Road to Recovery. And we're going to talk about today something that's even a little more difficult than anything we've talked about so far, because I'll give you a little hint. In my world, which is the church world, uh, that's where I live and operate, there is a word that people hate. There is a word that, that strikes fear and anxiety and anger and conflict in their lives, and that is the word change. Change. You know, somebody said, nobody likes change except a baby with a dirty diaper. The only person I know that wants a change in their life. But the reality is that change is a part of our life, and change is the only way to move from where we are to a better place. And there are better places, always somewhere better to go. And there's always going to be some change along our journey of life. In this road to recovery, we've been talking about the fact that we have an amazing God who loves us, who's blessed us in so many ways, but a God that we oftentimes walk away from, or we kind of leave in some ways, and we we choose to uh, attach ourselves to certain uh, habits, a hang-up. Sometimes we experience hurt. And we have a God who calls us. He doesn't give up on us no matter how dirty we get. What an awesome song. That no matter how dirty we are, that He can make us worthy through Jesus Christ. He gives us hope again. And so we all have issues in our life that keep us from becoming the person that God wants us to be and living life with joy and freedom and peace that God has made us to, to, to experience. And so in this uh, process or in this message, a, a series of messages, we've been talking about how we can experience recovery and healing in Jesus Christ and that it is a process that we go through. It's not an immediate thing that we normally experience. And we've been using the word recovery as an acronym to chart our course and our path here. And uh, so I want to review, and I know that uh, gets a little bit tedious, but if you've been here every week, uh, it helps me to remind myself, uh, I, I preach this sermon uh, I, I preach, I practice about four times. I try to, to, to get ready for Sunday, and then I preach it twice. So maybe six times a week, I remind myself of these words. I know you guys probably only hear them once a week. I hope that they don't get old, but let me remind you of what they are. The R is to realize that I'm not God. The E is to earnestly believe that God exists, that I matter to Him, and that He has the power to help me recover. The C is commit my life to Christ and my will to Christ. And the O we talked about last week is to openly examine and confess my faults to God, to himself, and to someone I trust. And today we're going to be talking about the V, which is to voluntarily submit to every change God wants to make in my life and humbly ask him to remove my character defects. To voluntarily submit to every change that God wants to make in my life and humbly ask him to remove my character defects. Now, I might want to remind you that this is a progressive-type journey. 
that we're on a journey, and every journey begins with the first step, but it continues with every step that we have the courage to make in this process. And this is a very courageous step to make. And it's also a step that's built upon a previous step in that we're not going to ask God to change us unless we've submitted to Him, unless we've acknowledged Him, unless we have committed, step number three, committed our life to Jesus Christ. There are tons of people out there who want their lives to get better, but are not willing to make this next step, this big step we're going to talk about today. And this step is based on Romans chapter 2, excuse me, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, where, where Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, the key word here is the word transformed or transformation. And the way that that happens is within the mind. Within the mind. I don't know of, of anyone, hardly, who doesn't have some really good intentions about what they would like to do and know that they should do and might even plan to do. But the real key is that the mind has to be changed first. So today we're going to talk about change, we're going to talk about the need for change, we're going to talk about where our problems come from, and we're going to talk about how to experience victory over our struggles through change. And we're going to begin that process by just asking a simple question, why do we have problems or where do our problems come from? What's the origin? Where do they begin? Where do these defects that we all struggle with, where do they come from? Why do we struggle? And there are three basic sources of our problems, biological sociological, and the third one is kind of theological. We'll develop that. But the first thing is biology. The reality is that all of us, we inherit some of our issues from our parents. We as parents don't want to admit that. We want to think we got a perfect home, but my theory is that every home has its share of dysfunction. Every home is dysfunctional. So if yours is off base a little bit, join the crowd. We'll you know, be like the rest of us. But the reality is that we pass these along to our children. Each of your parents contributed 23,000 chromosomes to your being. 23,000. In that many chromosomes, there's got to be some duds, right? And the reality is that we all are passed along some of these chromosomes that are going to develop who we are, and some of them are flawed. Not because we're bad people or our parents are bad people, but because we are human and we're in a fallen world. And that for many, many generations of that, we're kind of flawed in who we are, and that's why we're all struggling with, with problems. We all contribute these to our children, and they inherit our defects. For example, there are physical defects that we pass along to our children. That we might be predisposed to certain medical issues. You know, you might be predisposed because of your family to heart problems. And you can't escape your genetics. You know, it's hard to get away from that because you kind of got them automatically, whether you want them or not, or other medical issues. Or maybe there are weight problems that, that you got because of your parents. You just, you inherited these challenges. What do you do about that? You know, they're a part of your life. But, but there are also some emotional and personality problems that you get as well. Maybe you got your dad's temper or your mother's anxiety. Or maybe you lived in a family that there wasn't a real strong work ethic. We might even call that laziness at some point. Maybe there were some other emotions that were passed down to you by your family. So you may have a tendency genetically to be given to certain addictions. 
I remember many, many years ago that I was told, I'd never heard this before, maybe, maybe it's new to you as well, I was told that if you have a certain chromosome in your makeup that leads to alcoholism and you take one drink, you are an alcoholic. That's pretty amazing. Did you know, and I hadn't read this either, but in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, it says that a single drink or drug triggers a physical allergy or genetic predisposition to alcohol and drugs that sets off a phenomenon of craving and obsession of the mind for more to be obtained by whatever means necessary. That's called an addiction. And many times you may have that predisposition because of your family passed down through lines. And if you know that, if you know that you've got that in your family, you, not, you should avoid it completely. There are a lot of people who choose to abstain from alcohol or drugs of, of, of that sort just because they know there's a predisposition there. But let me just tell you this. Even if you got that, it's not a reason to, to fall prey to that because just because you're predisposed to certain problems doesn't mean that we have the freedom or the right to express them. If we took that tact, we would say, hey, well, I'm, I'm predisposed to sin, so I'm going to sin because I've got it naturally, right? That's, that's a cop-out. We can't do that. But we do struggle to our genetics. The second source of our problems or struggles are our circumstances. That's how we were raised. Let's say you were adopted. You know, we have two adopted kids in our home, so they don't have any chromosomes passed down, but they got plenty of problems because they live with me, you know? So it's our circumstances. You and I were raised a certain way, and we learn how to relate, to respond, to have certain acceptable patterns of behavior and develop habits. We learn that from, from watching people, from parents, or, you know, from the people that are around us. We kind of learn how to survive. We know how to have our needs met. We learn how to, uh, to cover ourselves and defend ourselves. We learn how to handle hurt and rejection. You know, I, I was reading this this week. A lot of our issues are our own attempts to meet our unmet needs. It's how we meet our needs. And we, and we do that in ways that are not healthy at all. For example, we all want respect. And if we don't get respect, we settle for attention. And any way we can get attention, it's okay. Even if it's bad attention, we're getting attention. For some people, we all need love. And if we don't get love, then we'll settle for cheap sex or because that gives us a measure of closeness. We all need security in our lives. And if we don't get security, we try to cover that security uh, with materialism and possessions so that we feel secure. You see how it is we try to meet our needs and sometimes we end up developing issues or problems that then become huge, life-controlling for us. The third source of our problems many times, our struggles, our choices. So it's not just what we inherit and what we experience around us, it's what we choose. Because if you choose to do something long enough, then that becomes a habit. Researchers at Duke University have discovered that a habit leaves a lasting mark on specific circuits in the mind or the brain, priming us to feed our cravings. I kind of liken this to a rut in the road that you get in. And so as soon as you get in the road, you just fall into the rut because it's a habit. Some say that we spend as much as 40% of our time doing things by habit. That's probably true, uh, more true for some people than others, that we spend so much just habit. This is how we relate. This is how we think. This is how we get along with our spouse or someone. It's uh, just the way that we function with them. And here's the other thing, enjoyable habits also release dopamine that strengthens the habit more. So it's enjoyable. Habits and addictions are, are difficult for us to break, uh, not only because they give us pleasure, but also because they're the default actions that we fall into. 
And that's true even if the habit is destructive or dangerous. You know, I think about certain habits that people have that are destructive. Science, medicine has shown this is a bad habit. This will hurt you. This will cause, uh, you know, a disease, a sickness. Smoking is one of those, to be honest. You know, we know the research. We know that it causes lung cancer, lung disease, and heart problems, and all these other things. And yet it's a habit. It's difficult to break. There's pleasure in it. There's a default. There's the thought of it. There's the taste, the, the smell, the feel. I understand that. That's challenging. So even if the habit is destructive or dangerous, we still struggle breaking it because, because it's so easy to fall into it and hard to get out of it. So why is it so hard for us to break these character defects in our lives? There's several reasons for that. One of them is because they're comfortable for us. They're very comfortable. That's our identity. That's who we are. They're so natural for us. And so what do we say to people we, when, when, we're, when we're challenged? We say, what do we say? That's just the way I am. That's just the way I am because I'm comfortable being the way that I am. That they're our identity. You know, when you think about it, isn't that a dumb excuse for us holding on to some of our problems? That's just the way that I am. What, what that almost tells us is I have no control over anything in my life and I do. That's just the way I am. I'm just a workaholic. I can't help it. I'm just anxious. I can't help it. I'm just fearful. I can't help it. I'm just quick-tempered. I can't help it. Whatever you plug the word in, I can't help it. That is, you know, it's easier for us to say, but it, it's just really a weakness, isn't it? And here's the other thing. Please don't use your age or any other factor to excuse your bad behavior. Don't say, you know what, I'm too old to change now. We should never, ever get to the place where we surrender to our weaknesses. And we just say, I can't do anything about that. We need strength to say, I'm going to change. I can do that with God's help. Another reason we don't change is the payoff. Here's the reality of it. I never thought of this, but we do not repeat things that don't get rewarded. We don't keep doing things unless there's some kind of payoff on that. You may be the life of the party when you get drunk. You get attention, and you like that, and so that's the payoff. That's why you do it. You control people when you get angry. You lose your temper. You're a force to be reckoned with, and then you get your way. That's why you keep doing it. That's your problem, and that's why you do it. Or maybe you do, you do, uh, you, uh, your defect gives you an excuse to find, uh, to compensate for your guilt or your excuse to fail in life. There is always a payoff for what we do. And if there is a payoff, then we just keep doing. And then there's one other barrier to our recovery, our change, and that is outside of us. We talked about things inside of us, but here's the other one. Satan is there all along. Not only do we deal with our genetics and we deal with our, you know, uh, our, our environment and who we are and the comfort and the payoff and identity and all that stuff, we have an enemy out there. The Bible says that he is a liar, a deceiver, a destroyer, accuser. He does all of those things and attacks us. And here's what he tells us. He, 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 he tries to steal away the desire to change. And then he accuses us of being hopeless whenever we fall prey to our, our struggle. So that's how, that's, how, that's how we get locked into this pattern to where it comes from. That's why it's so hard for us to change. Now, change is difficult for all of us, but it's not impossible. And we're reminded from the scripture we just read a few moments ago, the Apostle Paul says, be transformed. Be transformed. Now, how does he say to do that? How does he say that we find change? We do that by renewing our mind. 
by renewing the mind. See, we all have these great intentions, and we can sometimes alter our pattern of behavior sometimes, but really it all starts in the mind because our thoughts and our habits and our, sometimes the pleasure sensors in our mind and our heart are set on the autopilot in our life. That's what we naturally follow. And while we can forcibly change our behavior, it's easy for us to go back to the old patterns. That is why, even though we know what we should not do, we just keep going back to it. Or we might change the pattern for a short time, but then we quickly fall back into it because our autopilot just reverts back. It's our default method of way of thinking and acting. And so that requires a lot more than just changing actions. It requires that we change our autopilot, our mind, and that's what Paul's talking about here. I have to change my heart and my mind, the way I think, the way I reason, the way I look at God, the way I look at me. I've got to change that. And that takes us back to step number three that Tony covered a couple weeks ago, and that was that I have to commit my life to Jesus Christ. When I commit my life to Jesus Christ, something has to happen inside in that I give up control of my life and I let him take the autopilot, take over the autopilot, and he sets the pattern and the values of my life. Not only do I, when I accept Christ, do, not only do I experience my sins forgiven, but I also need to invite inside of me the Holy Spirit to lead me and guide me. We talked last week or, or so about the Spirit's power, not only is our conscience, but our convictions of God's Spirit inside of us to speak into our lives. And when the Holy Spirit comes into a, inside of us, then the transition of the transformation begins. Now, I talk to people and I see people who may have made a decision to follow Jesus, but not much came of it. We all know people like that, right? You know, and, and they're disappointed. They're a little disillusioned. They're not sure what happened. And I think what happened is it was a, a decision, and then they went immediately back to their old patterns, and they did not give God room or space to work in their life through His Holy Spirit. So there's got to be a surrendering here. That's the transformation comes from the surrendering to God's Holy Spirit. And then he begins the transformation because we're not only willing to be led by God, but we're surrendering our efforts to the Spirit and we're being empowered by his Holy Spirit. So I want to talk about some ways, some really practical ways that we can, can change our focus and change our life through the power of the Holy Spirit. And only he can help us do this, only after we commit our life to Christ. Here's the first thing. The first thing that we have to do is focus on changing one defect at a time. One defect at a time. Acknowledge those defects. We did that, talked about it last week, but change one defect at a time. And this, I believe, requires prayer to know where God wants you to start. Because most of us, all of us, have a lot of issues we could address. And it's easy for us to say, God, just make me a better person. Just please make me a better person, which is a great prayer. But it's so general, you know, where are we going to start on that, making that happen? So last week in step four, we talked about taking this moral inventory of issues that you need to talk to God about, issues that are affecting your life, maybe you feel guilty about. And so if you did that, maybe you need to go back to the list and find out the one that is causing you the most issues in life. If you didn't make the list, that's okay. Uh, maybe you didn't get to it. Go back and make the list and then say, okay, in this, in this framework about I'm going to change, what do I need to change the most? What is damaging my life the most right now? So I'm going to focus on one defect at a time. Secondly, focus on victory one day at a time. One day at a time. So many of the times, me anyway, I don't know about you, but I, try, I've, I view life from this moment to forever. And I'm thinking, I don't know how I can do that forever. I'm not sure how I can do that forever. 
But what I know I can do it is for this moment and for this day. And that's what we have to do. Jesus in the model prayer said, Father, give us this day our daily bread. You notice he didn't say, God, feed us every day for the rest of our life. He said, God, give us this day our daily bread, one day at a time. How do you eat an elephant? We've all heard that, that question, one bite at a time. You can never eat an elephant whole, but after a while, you could probably devour the whole thing. So you take one day at a time, one day. You get God's strength for the moment. You say, Lord, today, God, today, help me to be patient. That's my issue. Lord, help me, God, to think pure thoughts. Help me to control my temper. Help me to be positive. Help me to resist alcohol. Help me to resist this drug. Help me to bite my tongue. Whatever it is, for the moment, God, today. Tomorrow, the Bible says in in Matthew 6, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. I never have a problem finding things to worry about. Do you? Every day has got a fresh thing that we could worry about. For today, focus on victory one day at a time. Thirdly, focus on God's power, not your own or your own willpower. Willpower does not work for us in spite of our good intentions. We need God's will, God's power in our life. And trying to do it alone actually blocks God's ability to move in our lives. The Bible says in Philippians 4, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I can do all these things, not through myself, but through him who gives me strength. And you know, we all are aware, we know when we're trying to go it alone, and we know when we're leaning on Jesus. We love to be independent, and sometimes we try that and we fail. It's time to focus on God's power, not our own. And then fourthly, focus on what you want and not on what you don't want. Focus on what you want and not on what you don't want. On the good things in life, not the bad. Again, Philippians 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. How many of you know that whatever you think about is what you will become? So much power in our thoughts and are directing our thoughts. What you focus on is what you move toward, whether good or bad. If you focus on your past, you're going to revert back to your past. If you focus on your guilt, you're going to be surrounded and drowned in guilt. If you focus on a sin, you're going to fall into that sin. So even if you're trying to resist the temptation, the more you think about the temptation and how hard it is to resist it, the more you're going to move toward that sin. It's just basic stuff. Instead, focus on something else, refocus, turn the mental channel of your mind. You know, i got to be honest, sometime in the morning when I get up and I spend time with God, sometime when I pray, I start off really good. And then somewhere along the way, something happens and I just take a, just a veer in my prayer. When I got my eyes, just, I'm, I don't even hear. Sometimes I'm way over there somewhere. Sometimes I'm thinking some thoughts, I have no idea where they come from. I think I know where they come from, from the devil, my, some of my thoughts. Ever, have, ever had that where you start off pretty well and pretty soon you're far from where you started? And what I have to do, I have to stop and say, whoa. And, and for me, refocusing is open my eyes, look around and close my eyes again and taking off in, you know, in the right direction. I got to reset the channel. I got to refocus because I get distracted easily. And that's how it is. We need to focus on the things that are good and holy and pure and admirable. Focus on God's Word. That's why it's important to know God's Word. You know, I spoke earlier about habits that leave a mark on our brain and the circuits and the, the repetition. Remember that? that? That to me was, I never heard that or thought of that before. 
But let me suggest this. What if you created those marks and patterns on your brain with Scripture instead of the other thoughts that you have? What if you repeated and what if you read the Bible more than everything else? And that's what came to mind when you were struggling because you were establishing patterns of thinking in that way. You know, there are a lot of people who take an index card and just write down certain scriptures of victory, and they look at those cards several times a day. And when you do that, that imprints your mind, and your mind is more likely to go there than somewhere else. It's a great way to do that. Focus on what you want and not what you don't want. Number five, focus on doing good and not feeling good. On doing good and not feeling good. Most of us know exactly what to do and what not to do. We just don't do it. Because it's easier not to do that, to do what we want. So we have to focus on doing what we are called to do. Because here's the thing, if you wait until you feel like changing, you will never change. You will never change. The devil will make sure that you never feel like changing, I promise you. You got a hard task that you, want, you need to do, you will never feel like doing that. You got to say, I'm going to do that right now. I've said this for years, and I believe it. Some of you, I think you think it's pop psychology, but listen to this. If you act the way you wish you felt, soon you'll feel the way you act. If you will act the way you wish you felt, soon you'll feel the way you act. It is a lot easier to act your way into feelings than to feel your way into actions. AA says it like this, you fake it until you make it. You fake it till you make it because you know you got to do this or you can't do that. And even though you don't feel like it, you do it. You can't control your feelings, but you can control your muscles. You do the right thing, eventually your feelings will catch up with your behavior. Guys, it is so practical in every arena of life and, and very true in, in marriage. You know, people say, my problem is my marriage. Well, your problem is really you, to be honest with you. And uh, the other person probably brings something to it too. But, but if your heart's already turned off to that person, you're not treating them like you love them, then you're not going to start loving them. But if you start treating them like you love them, they may even respond. But, but whether they do or not, your feelings are going to catch up with your behavior. Number six, focus on people who help me not hinder me in making these positive changes I want to make in my life. The Bible says this, bad company corrupts good character. You may need to get rid of some old friends and get some new ones, not because they're just rotten people or that you're a rotten person, but you just don't help each other. The mix is not good. I once had to tell one of my kids that they were going to never hang out with a friend again. And, and if you can do that as a parent, be bold and do it. Let me just say that. But it was time because their friend, when they got together, they always got in trouble. And so I said, you will never hang out with them again. You will never be at their house. They will never be at our house. You will never be together alone. And they were obedient. And their lives, my son's life straightened out. And it wasn't just his friend. It was the connection there. So the reality is you have to stay away from the people in places where you struggle. If you have a problem with alcohol, don't go down to the bar to see your old friends. That's just a dumb idea. If you have a problem with pornography, you don't go where it's sold or available, and you definitely put some guards on your computer because that's where you get the stuff at. You stay away from the places where you find the issues and struggles of your life. Instead of being with people who participate in your struggle with you, you find a community of people who are on the same path of recovery as you are because you can't recover alone. That's the strength in AA and NA. And, and by the way, I'm going to put a plug in for Celebrate Recovery that we're starting here uh, in a few weeks. 
because this is a community of people who are on their path to recovery in a lot of areas of their life. Some of them may be addiction. Others of them are codependency and mental ch- issues and uh, uh, depression and in- grief, any number of things. There's plenty of reasons that, that you can be in recovery, but you need to be on, on some other people who will be helpful to you. And then number seven, focus on progress, not perfection. Focus on your progress, not perfection. Recovery is a process. It is not a destination. Nobody says, I've finally reached recovery. If you do, you're about to fall. It is a process, long ongoing. And it's a decision that you make, but then there's a process to get there. Philippians chapter 1 says, He who began a good work in you will carry it on into completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So when you give your life to Christ and you make these decisions, that he begins a good work in you, but it will not be completed until the day of Christ, which is his return, by the way, when we are made perfect and holy with him. So be, don't, don't be discouraged when your progress is slow, when you feel like I'm not getting anywhere. Steep mountains require slow but consistent climbing. Make sure that you are moving as quickly as you can, but realize that just simply moving forward is progress itself. Our mission as a church is to move people on a simple journey toward Jesus. Regardless of where you are, far from God, near God, dealing with issues, whatever it may be, we want to see everybody moving, taking your next step. And understand that your progress does not depend on whether God loves you or not. That God loves you right where you are. He will never love you any more or less than he does right at this moment. But God is calling you to take your next step for him on the journey to move forward. So my challenge for you today in this step is surrender to him and let him take control. Voluntarily submit to every change that God wants to make in your life and humbly ask him to remove all of your character defects. You know what that word really, what that statement really is? It's the word surrender. Surrender, which is so hard for us. But it is God's call to our life. And that's how I'm going to wrap up this morning to say that all of us are called to surrender our lives to him, whether you're dealing with a life-controlling issue, whether you're dealing with just the issues of sin and all that we have in life, whatever's happening, going on, the thing that you have to have to find victory, to win this race, to finish faithfully, is daily surrender to him. And this morning, if you have never done that, then I want to issue that challenge, that invitation to you to surrender and give your life to Christ. And You can do that in in many different ways just to to initiate that. You can come and talk to me. I'd love to have that conversation. There's a connection card that you were given earlier that you can just jot down. Hey, I want to speak to a minister. Uh, Email me, call, whatever it is, but just take that step. And maybe you want to take it before you leave this building because Satan, I want to tell you, he's right outside the door and he will snatch it out of your head and out of your heart if you don't do it before you leave. That's so true. I've seen it happen many times. So I want to pray for you, and we're going to wrap up and continue our worship. Lord, God, thank you for this day. Thank you for your message. God, thank you that you care enough about little bitty people like us that you would send your son Jesus to come and die. And God, that then um, you would help us find victory, not over, only over our sin and, and for eternity, but, but over the, the issues of our life that drag us down and keep us from being all you want us to be. God, we love you. We worship you. We lift all these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Randy.